Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. On hope, I thought of as we were singing that first song, one of the lines in it was, Through the darkest of night, his light will shine. That's what hope is. I, I started out here, um, well, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So hope is equivalent to what's not seen. But if, if in, in, it's not seen naturally speaking, but it is seen with your spiritual eyes. Hope is only, um, or the hope that we're talking about, is hope based on a revelation of God's word. It's not, hope, it's not natural hope, well, I hope things get better. No, it's, it's revelation that God says this. Therefore, I can attach my faith to that because my faith is in God and God's word. Because God is worthy of being trusted. And if he says it, then it will be so if I believe him. And if I don't believe him, then, you know, I'll be honest with you, uh, I, I, I have had dealings with people, and, you, and if, if you know me, one of the biggest emphases or the emphasis of my ministry, I feel like, is to teach people who they are in Christ. Because you have to identify with, with that, because everything else is messed up. But I've had people where, where I've preached it to them. I'm talking one-on-one -on -one counseling. Brother, you've you, you got to let go of the past. You're forgiven. We just read it a minute ago when we prayed. Romans 8, there is now therefore no condemnation. And they're living in condemnation. And all I hear, but you don't know. But you don't know what I did. But you, remember what I did. Remember what I did. And, and, and it's, you, sometimes you just want to grab people and shake them till their teeth rattle. And say, I know what you did. Jesus knew what you did before, he, you, before you ever lived. He knew what you were going to do. And he died for it. So get over what you, what you did and start thinking about what he did. Because putting what you did above what he did is the most arrogant thing. And, and entire denominations revolve around the revelation of my sin is greater than Jesus' blood. Because they stay in condemnation. You're just a worm. You're just a sinner. No, I used to be a sinner, and then I got saved. Now I'm a saint who occasionally slips up and sins. Sure. I always sin in the sense that I never hit the mark. I can't do anything perfectly. And sometimes I just willfully sin. I just do. Let's just be honest. I have a choice between what I know is right and what I know is wrong, and I'm tired and I don't want to do it, so I just step on over into unrighteousness. And then you wake up and you think, why did I do this? Well, because you're stupid. You want to slap yourself in the forehead and say, wow. I mean, I knew better, but I did it anyway. Why? What Paul said in Romans 7, I have a law within me, but I have a law in my flesh. And depending on where my light is shining, that will depend on where I go. I heard the story years ago, and I, I've, I proved it true. A bunch of kids were together, and they took a, a two-by-six, and they stretched it across a ditch. And it was about six, eight feet long. And they took their bicycles. And this back when bicycles had like, you know, three-inch wheels or tires, the big old fat tires. And, and they, they challenged each other to ride across that two-by-six. And nobody could do it. They'd get a quarter way, halfway, and they'd fall off. They'd be in the ditch. Of course, the ditch had mud and water, and it was great fun because everybody ended up being muddy. And this one kid that, that nobody thought he was uncoordinated, he couldn't do anything right, he was the last guy I always picked, and they said, why don't you try it, Bobby? And he jumped on his bike and zipped right across. They said, that was luck. He turned his bike around, and he zipped back the other way. And they're all standing there amazed. Tell us how you did it. And he said, I don't know if I want to. I like being the only one that can do it. 
And they just, they tormented him, tormented him, till he finally said, there's only one way to do it. You can't look at the board. You've got to look at where you're going. And if you line it up right and you look where you're going and forget about the board, you just go straight across. But if you're looking at the board, you're, you, you forget where you're going and you'll fall off. That's life. That's hope. Hope is where am I going? What has God said? And my attach myself and make my brain go there. And then the rest I can do because this stuff in this world, my inclinations, what my body says, what other people are assaulting me with, what the world is assaulting me with, they grow dim. And all I see is God and God's Word, and I can have hope and a confident expectation on that. I'm going to go through these real quickly. John 10.10, this is part of our hope. Jesus came to give us life in that more abundantly. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's on our side. That sums up both those verses. God wants the best for you, not the worst. He's not out to get you. If he was out to get you, you'd be God. And if he was out to get you for evil, evil would have you wrapped up and you would not be able to get out of it. And then we also looked, and this was really one of, the, one of the anchors, or one of our main scriptures, Hebrews 6, 19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. That's what I need. I need an anchor to anchor me. You know, a lot of ships, they have what's called a sea anchor. And in, in rough storms, they'll, it's not really a metal anchor. It's really, at least it used to be. I don't know what the modern, and maybe modern ships don't use it. But they would throw it overboard, and it's like a canvas tube attached to a line and it goes off the back of the ship and what it does is it puts a drag to keep the sheep, ship straight it's going in a direction but that it's kind of it doesn't really stop you but it puts some resistance and it helps the pilot to keep the ship straight that's what this does hope anchors our soul it gives us it puts us in a spot and says i'm not moving off this my body screams sick 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 the word says healed 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 my hope keeps me anchored to healed when my body screams sick. When my checkbook says poor, God says rich. The only way I can stay anchored to rich is to look at the word more than my bills. Because we all have had, you know, if you haven't ever had a month where you had more month than you had money, God bless you. Come tell me how you do that because I'd like to know. Now, I haven't had one of those for a long, long time, but I've had them. We've all had them. But I know people that have those and they don't survive. Their bills become so overwhelming, they'll put a gun in their mouth. That's it. They just, they're done. They quit. Well, life is more important than bills. Life's more important than bankruptcy. Life's more important than living under a bridge. And if, if, you, if you will follow God and do it His way, well, 2 Peter 1, 4, God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through those promises we can be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world. We, God has given us all of these promises so that we can partake of Him and escape dying. Not dying physically, but being partakers of death. This, this whole world lives on death. Everything decays. If you don't believe it, go buy a brand new car. That new car smell will be gone in a few months, and you'll start to see little dings and scratches and things pop up within weeks. Why? Because it all falls apart. Amen? And then we looked last week, John 16, 13, and this is where I'm going to start today. When Jesus was speaking of, of the Holy Spirit coming, one of the things that he said at the very end is, He will tell you things to come. And we looked at that word. That word is anaangelos. And it, it literally means, ana means to drop in the midst of, and angelos is a word where we get angels. But in this context, it's not talking about heavenly creatures. It's talking about the messengers of God, the church. Christians. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to show you things to come or tell you things to come by dropping you down in the midst of a body of believers. And that body of believers is to manifest it, uh, Hebrews <clears throat> excuse me, 10.24, where I believe it's Paul. I, I wouldn't argue with anybody, but he says, let us consider one another, let us provoke one another in order to stir up love and good works. 
We are to provoke, take a sharp stick, that's what that word means. Poke each other to stir up love and stir up good works. And that's not always easy. Because sometimes we don't want to stir up love, we just want to poke. You did me wrong, jab. Well, no, that's not what God's called us to. But if you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, God designed that process to work by putting us in a body. By putting individual church bodies into a larger body. We need to realize that, that God, <clears throat> God's influence isn't just on this church property. His influence is a little bigger than us. Now, we're the center of his attention individually, but he has a big purpose in mind, and he's looking at the big picture, and he wants us, we are in very important to the big picture, because if we don't do our part, the big picture is not going to get accomplished. It takes the work of every part of the body. But if we cut off other parts of the body and say, you know, uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, that's 1 Corinthians 12, 21, I have no need of you. We want to start looking at other Christians because they don't believe what we believe, you know. They have different doctrines. Well, I don't need them. Yeah, you do. If they call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are your family and you need them. Families were designed to support one another, not fuss and fight with one another. Now, I want to go to Job chapter 8. And I know, Job's a dangerous book to go to. But this is Bildad. It, it, it sounds like he ought to be a character out of a J.R. Tolkien novel. And I'm sure Tolkien got some of his names from these biblical characters. But, but Bildad is one of, the, of Job's friends. And Bildad is coming to Job with the idea, Job, all of these things are happening to you because God's out to get you, and He's out to get you because you sinned. And you've got sin in your life, and the quicker you acknowledge that, and the quicker you um, repent of that sin, the quicker you can get out of this. Now keep in mind, scholars, and, and you know, scholars are great if you agree with them, they're stupid if you disagree with them, so you know, that's a, that's a double-edged sword. But most biblical scholars will tell you that the general time frame of, of Job in its entirety, Job's troubles, is six to nine months, less than a year. Now sometimes we read Job and we think he spent his whole life in all of these problems and God only blessed him for a couple of months at the end. No, he had a whole, a really devastating problem that hit for a short time and then God blessed him. He was blessed before, he had problems and he was blessed after. But when Bildad's talking to him, trying to convince him that he's wrong, and in one sense Bildad is right, we're all full of sin, we all have missed it. But that's not what was going on with Job. He, Bildad makes this point, and we're in Job 8, we're going to start in verse 11. It says, Can papyrus reeds grow tall without a marsh? Can marsh grass flourish without water? He's telling Job, look, if you're not plugged into God, you're going to wither just like marsh grass. When the marsh dries out, the marsh grass will wither. He said, while they are still flowering, not ready to be cut, they begin to wither more quickly than grass. He's saying these things don't last long. The same happens to all who forget God. The hopes of the godless evaporate. Now this is the New Living Translation. I'm not sure, did we have that up? Or the New King James? New King James reads it very differently. New Living? Good. I, that, that last phrase, and, and this is, Bildad is accurate here. If you forget God, your hopes will evaporate. Why? Because without God, your hope, you can, you can have hope and you can attach your faith to hope. But if it's not God backing that up, you're on your own. If you've got the strength to work it out and get it, you got it. If you don't have the strength or the ability to work it out, you're not going to get it. The great thing about putting our hope in God is that when we put our hope in God, He has the strength to make His Word come true. It's not that I'm declaring this is going to be. It's God's already declared, and I'm just saying, hey, I'm agreeing with the big guy over here. 
You know, it's like when I was a little boy, I was, well, in some ways I'm still a timid little boy. I just don't let it show much. But when I was really little, man, if you barked at me, I would run. But you know where I ran if it was available? Right behind my father's leg. Because my father was about six foot two. And I'm telling you, when, when all the kids in the neighborhood would get together, you know, it was a big challenge for the boys. My dad's stronger than your dad. My dad will whip your dad. My dad's the strongest guy on the block. Well, who, you know, all of the fathers were strong compared to us. We were a bunch of little squirts. We were probably not five or six years old at this point. And they were giants. I remember we, we had sewers, you know, storm sewers, and the ball would go down in the storm sewer, and we'd just grab whichever father was available, and they'd walk out, and they'd stand on either side of that grate, and they'd grab that big old iron grate and lift it up out of there and put one of us down in that hole, and we'd grab the ball, and we'd all stand back with eyes the size of saucers. He lifted that whole great big piece of steel. Well, it probably weighed 40 or 50 pounds. It's not much for a grown man to pick up, but to us little boys... We just witnessed Superman do a, you know, a heroic act. Well, trying to, 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 they were capable of doing that, but, but we're looking at, at the strength of God to accomplish things. In, in that state, I always ran behind Dad's leg because Dad could do anything. My dad could protect me from anything, and when I was behind his leg, I was secure. In fact, being the, the little squirt that I was, I'm sure there was on more one occasion I got behind Dad's leg and I peeked around behind Dad's leg and stuck my tongue out at somebody. Just dare you. Come on. My dad will whip you. He can take care of you in a heartbeat. I don't care how big you are. Well, <clears throat> if this is true, that those that forget God, the hopes of the godless evaporate, the inverse is also true. When we believe in God... Our hopes will not evaporate. Our hopes will have substance because God's standing behind them. And we don't have to stick our tongue out at the devil. We need to stand up and say, look, you are powerless in this situation. I, my faith and my hope is, on, is in God and on His Word in this situation. And you don't have a choice. You have got to back down. In fact, you just might as well run now. And the whole time we're standing there bragging, God's standing right behind us saying, yep, yeah, I agree. I already said it. He's agreeing with me. I'm backing him up. We had dogs on our farm. Oh, they were brave. They'd start barking. There'd be a fox. There'd be something out there. And you'd go to, they'd be right at the kitchen door. And you'd walk up to the, to the kitchen door. I'd open the door. There's a storm door there. And when they, you'd open the door, they'd go about five feet and look back. And they'd just bark and growl. And if you opened that door, they'd go another 10, 15 feet. And they'd bark and growl, but they kept looking around to see if you were there. And as far as you would go, they'd go a little farther. But the second you started backing up, man, they started backing up. I remember when I was a kid thinking, you bunch of cowards. You got sharp teeth. What am I going to do? If, if a bear comes out of the woods, you're dead because I'm running. Well, they, well, my problem was they would have run faster than me. But we don't have to do that with God. But, but we do have to keep God in our sight. Those dogs were not wrong in one sense. They were looking to the master. And they had plenty of bravery when the master was there because their thought process is the master will back me up. Well, when we're standing on His Word and we, we have hope in God and in what God said, that, that hope will, will bring Him on the scene and He will always back things up. Now, here's where I want to camp for a few minutes. Matthew 6, 9-13, this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's not really a, you know, everybody can pray this prayer. I go to a lot, of, in fact, every movie you ever watch, when trouble comes, oh, we got to pray. What do they do? They start reciting the Lord's Prayer. And they just recite it from memory. And most, most people understand this prayer and have it memorized. But it's not these words. This is a guide. This is God saying, this is my answer to you, guys. This is how you pray. It's not what you pray, but this is how you pray. So I want to go through this and, and, and look at this. I'm going to read all the way through it first, and then we're going to go back and, and we're just going to dig in a little bit. 
to these individual um, verses. Matthew 6, 9-13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Which literally means, so be it. It's what amen, that's the meaning behind it. It's a declaration of faith. This is so. Well, what does that mean for us? The first, very first verse there in, in, in our first stanza in verse 9. Our Father, King James, our Father who art in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Well, if you think about it, go to, to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. This is when uh, the children of Israel are, um, Moses is about to die and J, or, yeah, Joshua is going to take over. In verse 30, it says, this is God speaking to, or excuse me, I got my next passage was that. This is early. This is still when Moses is around, Deuteronomy 4. But this is what God says to them through Moses. He says, when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, that tells me this is also speaking to us because we are in the last days. When you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. We do not have to fear when distress comes, because we are in the last days, and things are, are, are I don't know that things are worse, but things are certainly coming more quickly than they came in, in ages past. And we are certainly presented with, with problems at a faster pace, and our brain has a hard time dealing with some of these things. Because of the speed. He says, turn to me, obey my voice. Because, and he goes to one of his essential traits, I'm a merciful God. But then he gives you assurance, I'll not forsake you nor destroy you. And I won't forget the covenant of your fathers. This is all based on the covenant. This is based on the covenant ultimately that Jesus made with the father, but that Jesus also made with um, Abraham. We're living out the Abrahamic covenant. And then at the end of Moses' life, when, when um, Moses is about to die and Joshua's coming on, Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 through 8, this is God's message. The, the, the nation is about to make a huge transition, new leadership. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them, for the, for the Lord your God, it is He who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. It's God that's going with us so we don't have to fear. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I love verse 8 there. Listen to the emphasis. The Lord. It's talking about Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus. He is the one who goes before you. Let's just make it personal. Forget the He. Let's make it the reality. Jesus is the one who goes before you. Jesus will be with you. Jesus will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor to be dismayed. Jesus is there with us, so, and He said, I'm going to be there, and I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you, so quit being fearful. And then He said the very same thing to Joshua, the very next chapter, Joshua 1, verse 5. Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And it wasn't just Moses and Joshua. 1 Chronicles 28, 20. This is to, to David, to Solomon. How would you like to be the son of King David and you've got to replace him? David is the greatest king that Israel has ever had. 
Everybody looks back to David. And you're going to come take his place. But David said this to, to Solomon. Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor, nor be dismayed for the Lord your God. For Jesus, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And then Hebrews brings it over into the New Testament. Those Old Testament verses are good. They're applicable to us. But Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said that to us. He's telling us, you have a father in heaven. You have a familiar or a family relationship with the God of the universe. He's your dad. So don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. I will be with you. I'll walk through you, through all of this with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. Now your flesh, your mind, the devil, and half the church will tell you God's forsaken you. I've had people tell me, why would you take the pastorate of that church? Don't you know God's written Ichabod above the door? And I, I, it brings tears to my eyes. because, And I'll be honest with you. My thought is, how could you be that stupid? God, God never writes Ichabod above the door of a church, a Christian church, where Jesus' name is being lifted up. It's stupidity to the power of ten. If there's just one person left calling out on Jesus, Jesus is there. It's all it takes. It's not the numbers. It's not, it's not anything other than is the presence of Jesus in this place. Well, if you're a Christian and you're there, then Jesus is there. Therefore, He's not done with you. I've said it before. Put your finger on your wrist. If you have a pulse, you're not finished. God's not done with you. Why? Because He's our Father. He, we're family. We don't give up on family. As I said last week about my older brother, he went after that guy that had, had, had beat me up. And I thought he was going to get arrested because he put a whooping on him. And afterwards I told him, I said, Lord, he, you've hit me harder than he did. I'll never forget his answer. Yeah, but I'm your brother. I have a right to hit you. He can't. He's not family. Well, it still doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But in, in one sense, it does make sense to me. I may fuss and fight with my family, but when the devil comes after my family, mm-mm, time for a whooping. Not a whipping, a whooping. And that's worse. Now, here's the question. Our Father in heaven, do you feel alone? Do you feel abandoned? God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We either have a relationship with God of the universe or you don't have a relationship with the God of the universe. It's the only two states you can be in. If you have a relationship with Him, He's right there. He says, I won't leave you, I'll forsake you. If you don't have a relationship, He says, come on in. Jesus' blood was spilt for you. All you have to do is come in and accept Me as your Lord, your Savior, by faith, and I will, have a real, I will become your Father. And then I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's pretty simple. And it's a really good deal. Now, second point, hallowed be your name. Here's the question. Is your life out of control? There's more things happening than you can keep up with. Believe me, we've all been in that situation where you just get overwhelmed. I mean, there, you know, it's like standing in the middle of a crowd and everybody's yelling orders. Let go. Hang on. Jump up, sit down, and you don't know who to believe, you don't know what to, to think, it just overwhelms you. And when things overwhelm you, the tendency of most people is you just stop. Well, it's not a bad tendency. What we need to do is just stop and check, what's God say? Because there's only one voice we want to listen to. Remember, the Apostle John said there are, in this world, there are many voices, and all of them have some substance to them. But... Yesterday, we, I, I used the, the Hebrew word kavak, 
for honor because we were honoring Jack and Eva. But that, that word literally means to give weight. The idea was gold is weighty and dense. So we're going to, to, when we honor someone, we put the value on them that we put on gold. Well, God is, I mean, God paves his streets with gold. That's unbelievable. So we ought to give some weight to God. We ought to honor his world. word. That's the only thing I need to listen to when everything is running out of, or is out of control. I just need to stop and say, God, what are you saying to me? Hallowed means to set it apart. It's different. It's holy. You know, um, one of the, the best Westerns, and, and it's not a great story. It's a bunch of, the, 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 the good guys are a bunch of lying crooks. But it's a great Western movie, Tombstone, if you've watched it. Um, one of the characters in that movie is Doc Holliday. And they're in the middle of this huge big battle. They're going after the bad guys, although they're just as bad. And they have stars from the federal government. The bad guys only have stars from the town marshal. So, you know, it's two different lawmen trying to kill each other, which shows you where they all are. But here, here's my point. The, the, in, in the movie, and who knows how much of this story of, of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, it's probably more fiction than truth to it, but Doc Holliday's sick, he's got tuberculosis, and he's, yet he's out there riding with Wyatt Earp. And this guy looks at him, he says, Doc, why are you even here? And he looks at him, he says, Wyatt Earp is my friend. And the guy looks back at him, he said, I've got lots of friends, I don't know I'd do this for him." And Doc looked at him, he said, I don't, meaning I don't have a lot of friends. So when I have one, I'm sticking close to him. If he needs help, I'm going to be here. Well, we may have lots of friends, but God is different. God's name is hallowed. It's set apart. I don't have anybody. I have people that I respect highly. When they talk, I listen. And I give weight to their, to their words because I, I have seen over time they mean what they say and, and they have proven themselves to be full of wisdom. And I go to them for counsel and I ask them to speak into my life. I don't do that with a lot of people because I don't put the weight of, of, of people's opinions into my life very easily. But, when I, but, but the one that I have to do most is God. Because his name is different. His name is holy. His at, he will never let me down. Even my natural friends, when I go to them and say, I need some advice on this, they may, they, they may give me their best advice and it still may be wrong. But God's never wrong. That's why I need to, to if I'm feeling alone or if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I need to go to God. His power is greater than anything. Mark 16 Verse 17, these signs will follow those who believe. That's us. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. It's in the name of Jesus that we can do this. It's His name. It's that name that has power. John 14, 14, Jesus said it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that does not mean that you just ask anything and you stick on the tag on the end of it in the name of Jesus. No, it means that your actions and your thoughts and your desires are motivated by Jesus. You have His Word because He will always back up His urges with His Word, His written Word. And you take what He motivates you through by His written Word and you declare that and that's when you are asking in His name. And He said, and I'll be right there and I will back you up. Well, if God's backing you up, you're going to win. The, the, the third one, this is Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that last phrase. We order our natural life here on earth in the same way that God operates things in heaven. This isn't my rule, the natural way, because this natural earth is going through the process of dying. That's why Paul said several places in Romans, even the natural world is desiring to see Jesus come back because they are tired of being under the curse of the fall. Being under the curse of the fall is not fun. From the time you were born, you're dying. It's just part of life. Jesus said here, your kingdom, it's His kingdom that's important. 
His will is what's important. And we need to order earth the way He's ordered heaven. So that's my example. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, you were not born again. Then He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you realize it's going to take all of eternity for God to reveal what He did for you in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? That's a pretty big bank account right there. If it will take you all eternity to reveal everything that happened in this series of actions... There's a lot that went on there. And he's saying, even when you were at your worst, Jesus came and he died. And he didn't just die, he resurrected. And when he resurrected, he took us out of the grave with him. He made us alive and we are seated with him. We are raised up in heaven and seated with him in heaven. And the whole purpose of our existence is to bring heaven to earth. That's our purpose. That is a pretty good purpose. There's a plan. And the great news is, God's plan doesn't end here. Because when I die, guess what? I won't be done. Meaning, I will have things planned. If I drop dead tomorrow, I got things planned for next week. I will always have things planned. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't expect to die soon. And I'm sure when I do, it will come as a surprise. I hope it does, because I'm expecting to God to keep using me and using me and using me and using me. I said to someone this week, I'm not sure I'll ever retire. I've got friends. I've got several friends. Some of them are not as old as I am. They've retired out of the ministry. They're sitting on a beach somewhere. I'm thinking, what a waste. You spent 30 years in the ministry. You've got all this wisdom, and you're going to sit out there and watch the waves? Well, I love listening to the waves. I love fishing. Well... Don't really love fishing. But I like doing stuff. I have my leisure activities. But what a waste to spend your retirement just living for pleasure when God's got a work for us to do. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.32, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We need to quit running for the natural things and start seeking the kingdom. And He'll give you the natural things. He says it in Proverbs. Here's wisdom. In one hand is long life and the other hand is riches and honor. And here's the problem. If you run after long life, you miss it. If you run after riches and honor, you miss it. But if you run after wisdom, you get what's in both hands. Because seeking the the stuff, seeking a long life or seeking riches and honor, those things are perishable. But when you grab wisdom, and His name is Jesus, you get all that comes with Him. Amen? Said it again in Luke 12, verse 30 and 32. All these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Don't fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not like the kingdom's something hard to get. God is up there saying, just come seek it. I want to give it to you. If you'll just seek it, I'm going to put it out there. Now, Fourth thing, this is Matthew eleven six. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you feel inadequate? Don't, you don't have what you need? You're stuck somewhere? Well, God says, ask for your daily bread. Philippians 4, verse 18 and 19. And this is Paul speaking to the Philippian church. He said, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul's saying, Philippian church, you all sent an offering to me from Epaphroditus, and I'm telling you, God is really pleased. This is good. Have you ever been sitting in a restaurant, and you've ordered something, especially if you're in a Mexican restaurant, and 
the table right next to you, no matter what you've ordered, they ordered the sizzling fajitas, and they bring them out on that, that hot iron skillet, and man, that thing is popping and sizzling, and the aroma of that meat just, and you're thinking, man, I wish I'd have ordered that. Or even better still, you're in a steak place, and you ordered something because you didn't want to spend a lot of money, and then the waiter goes behind you with that a, even bigger platter, and they got that big porterhouse sizzling on that thing, and you're thinking, oh, man, I wish I had that. That's what, that's what an offering given in a time of need does to God. He says, wow, that smells good. Better than a porterhouse. And I'm telling you, there are not too many things better than that. But verse 19, this is the other side of that. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When you give, when God says give, God says, I'm going to just replace it. But God, I, I can't afford to give this. That's a big amount of money you just told me to give. He said, so? I'm going to come right behind you and I'm going to give it back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over through the hands of men. Now, don't be like the guy that Pastor Yandian talked about one time. Pastor Yandian taught a lot about giving and about receiving and about prospering. And this guy went and complained to him. He said, Pastor, I don't understand this. I, I've been, been giving you know, and offerings, and I've been tithing. And he said, I'm not prospering much. And he said, well, tell me what's happening. He said, well, I've given this and this and this. And he said, and I'm, you know, money's not coming in. He said, I'm just getting nothing but job offers. And it's like, well, duh. Have you investigated any of the job offers? Go to work. Well, it, 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 it may come in a way that you'd really don't, you'd rather just have a dog carry a paper bag full of, you know, wrapped stacks of $100 bills, 10000 to a stack. That would be nice. I'd like to have that dog come to my house occasionally. Problem is, that's a fictional dog. God says, go to work. I'll bless you. I will bring the money in through your activities, but I only bring it in. I only bless you if I know you, can, you will give it away when I tell you to give it away. Fifth thing. You've done something wrong, you can't get out of it. There's no forgiveness, especially you can't or won't forgive yourself. That's a huge one. Or you don't believe God will forgive you. This is Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Romans 8, we read this earlier. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That second part of that first verse is not a condition of being in Christ Jesus. It's a result of being in Christ Jesus. Paul says that on down. I forgot the, the, the number of the verse in Romans 8. He said, if you, if you, are, one, if you are Christ, and you, then you have the Spirit of God, and you, are, you do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's, it's having Christ in you. But why do we not have condemnation? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. But now here's the rule. My job, according to Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. My job is to forgive. My job is not to even the score. And sometimes that's hard to do because you want to get back. Your flesh will rise up, especially if someone attacks your loved one. You attack me directly, I, can, I, I got a pretty thick skin. You attack my wife, you attack my kids, you attack my family members, my flesh gets involved. And I just want to look for a ball bat. I'll be honest with you. My flesh says, I, no, 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 no. You don't talk about my family that way. I'll, I'll crack your skull. Well, Jesus says, no, there's going to be no skull cracking here. You have to forgive. Romans 12, 19, this is Paul's New Testament. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. My job is to forgive them. His job is to even the score up at the end of the age. And I'll give you the best example. In the book of Acts, when, when Stephen is about to be stoned, it says that, that Paul was holding the coats of his accusers. That basically means that Paul was the prosecuting attorney. He brought the charges against Stephen. And he wants Stephen dead. That's why they're there. And they're stoning Stephen, and what are the last words that Stephen says before he says, you know, Lord, receive my spirit. He said, forgive them, Father. 
He speaks a blessing over the people that are killing him. And he says, forgive them. And you know the importance of that? Paul heard that and that gave God permission to just dog Paul's trail. Why? Because Timothy forgave him. Or Timothy. Stephen forgave him. And God said, Paul, you're forgiven. Now, I'm not going to let you go with this. I've called you. Had, had Stephen said, Lord, curse them all to hell. I don't know that that would have tied God's hands, but it would have made it more difficult. Stephen forgave and it gave God an avenue because of Stephen's faith to, to come in and, and, and do some stuff. Now the sixth thing, I don't know what to do, but I feel that where my desires are pulling me is wrong. We've seen it in James. Why are there wars? Because you lust and you have not. Why do you sin? Because your desires pull you off to do this in an area where God says it's not. First of all, don't equate temptation with sin. Don't have this thought. If I was really saved, I wouldn't have these thoughts. Yes, you would. <laughs> You'd be surprised. If our thoughts were on a banner above our heads, we wouldn't have too many friends. Believe me, we'd stay offended with everybody. Because just because a thought goes through your head doesn't mean that it was yours. And it may have been yours, but it may just be that you haven't conquered that part, renewed that part of your brain yet. And you need to renew that. And you need to deal with that. Call it sin and ask forgiveness. The thought isn't necessarily a sin, but it may represent a thought pattern and a stronghold in your life. And you need to deal with that stronghold. I'm not going to read there, but, but in Romans 7, we've already talked about it. Paul said, um, the good that I will do, I don't do. The evil I will not do, that I practice. Why do I do that? I find that a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus will. That's who does it. That's what Paul's point is. And then he goes on to Romans 8 and says, Now there's no condemnation. He just said, I am a wretched man, but God does not condemn in me. Well, thank God he said that. Verse uh, 13 of Matthew 6, Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. James said it in James 4. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you see that, 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 that law of sin and death operating through your flesh, take authority over it. Cast those thoughts down. If you operated on that, ask forgiveness. Run to 1 John 1, 9. Confess it as sin. God will cleanse you. He'll forgive you, but He'll forgive you first, but then He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. And then you can get back in, in, in on the treadmill, get back on the job and start working for Him again. And the enemy will bring it up and say, oh, you, you, you're not worthy to work for God, to do this. Well, of course I'm not. It's not about me, it's about Him. It's not about my actions, it's about Him. It's what He did. It's how He empowers me. And the great thing is, is as you do this and you do this and you do this, you get better at it. It's like every skill in the world. Practice makes perfect. So practice righteousness. Practice hearing God. Well, I just don't hear God's voice. Right here is God's voice. It's called your Bible. Get it out and read it. And if God will bring certain verses to you. And then when you get them, when you put them in and you put them in and you put them in and you put them in, in a crisis, the verse will come to you. That's the voice of God. And it'll give you an answer in a time of need. You don't always need a, a thundering, you know, lightning, earth-shattering voice from heaven that says, do such and such. You just need that small inward voice on the inside that says, bless and don't curse. Those are the hard ones. Because usually when you're ready to curse, it's because somebody's done something to hurt you. And you're ready to repay evil for evil. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're, you're as bad or worse than they are. And I forgave them and you. So you bless instead of curse.
But God, they don't deserve it. Well, neither did you, but I blessed you anyway. So if I can bless you, bless them. Plant a seed. Show them how great I am. Amen? We are never alone. He said it. We, I, I don't remember how many verses I quoted there. But he said it over and over and over and over. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My anointing rests on you. You're seated with me in heavenly places. Now take this heaven, the nature of heaven, and manifest it in the earth. When we do that, people be attracted. I don't want to be the Christian who has one three-point message. God's good. I'm bad. Try harder. I want to have the message, God is good, I was bad, but He elevated me right up there with Him. And I'm now seated with Him. I'm part of Him, and He's part of me. He changed my life. He can change your life too. Are you desperate? you feel alone? God, God's not, He hasn't abandoned you. He won't forsake you. Just come on in. And, and, and the sad part is, the ones that I hear resist this more than any way are Christians who ought to know better. Unbelievers, now some of them are not looking for a way out. Let's just be honest. Some of them like the pig pen they're playing in and they want to stay there. Those are the ones you just have to pray for. You pray and you pray and you pray and you say, God, invade their life. Show them something different. But don't go wag your finger at them and say, oh, you're a sinner. Well, they know they're sinners. Just pray for them. And when you get an opportunity, tell them what a great thing God has done in your life. See, that's the greatest testimony we can give somebody. Not legalism. You're, you're a sinner and what you, your lifestyle is terribly sinful. Okay, I like it. Leave me alone. No, tell them, look, I had this problem and God delivered me and this is how He delivered me. And you show them enough of those positive things and they see in your life that when everything is falling apart around you, you're just walking through it and the raindrops are dodging you. How do you stay so blessed? Because Jesus is my Lord. Or, or hell manifests itself in your life. And rather than crumbling and cursing and lashing out, you just stand steady. And you bless instead of cursing. And they'll ask you, man, you, you must be something. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm nothing. What I'd like to do is just lash out and kill you all. But I got Jesus on the inside of me that constrains me from doing that. Those are being witnesses. This is like we said to Jack and Eva. I, I never knew Jack to do a lot of witnessing, but he was always a witness. That's what I desire in my life, but I can only do that when my hope's in God and I have a knowledge of His Word and I can put my faith on that Word and see His blessings and see His character come out of me. It's really more about His character coming out of me than seeing His blessings on me. If His character comes out of me, His blessings will follow. That's why He said, Seek you first the kingdom of God and, and, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I don't go after the things. I go after Him, and I manifest His character because it's already in me. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.